I'm Danny. And this is episode 58. 58. Jesus, we just said that too. 58 of Fried Squirms. Is it 58? Yeah. Jesus. Sure is, man. We're getting up there. Yeah, it is. Okay. I mean, today's episode's Bone Tomahawk. It is. And what I think is unique about the way we're recording is the last two weeks we've been recording literally on the weekends, a Saturday and a Sunday. We normally don't do that. No, this has been kind of throwing me off. Yeah, last week we recorded on Saturday, so I guess before we get into the episode, we can hit a little bit of lately, you know, what happened in the last week. Yeah, catch our audience up to speed. Fucking congrats, Eagles. Yeah, my (laughs) sister was super excited about that, so boohoo Patriots fans and yay Eagle fans, even though you guys beat my Falcons fuckers. I was going to say, we've pointed out before that we both follow football, so uh, we're both really happy, I think, that the Patriots lost, and I wanted to mention that. Yeah, I had, you guys. I had mixed no feelings. No tuck rule on that strip sack. <laughs> God damn it. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, we like a bit of sport outside of just reviewing our horror films for the week. But we both got to watch the Super Bowl separately and took in a couple of horror films on Shudder. I kind of want to reserve what I watched maybe for later on. But decent films. You know, got a, myself a couple of DVDs and Blu-rays throughout the week, which I'll share later on when they come in. But yeah, it's, oh, yeah. it's about sure what I've been up to. Up on yeah. the Instagram. Remember, sure. we're Fried Swarms Podcast on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. Let me think. I don't think I really have too much to add myself. Did I start rewatching Penny Dreadful or did I already mention that last week? I don't remember. I don't recall. Well, I started rewatching Penny Dreadful because I never got... I got like halfway into the second season and then shit got busy in my life, so I wasn't able to keep with it for a bit, but... Cool. Now I'll go through and, you know, finish all three seasons and shit. But. Well, good, man. It's a really good series. Don't want to talk about it too much right now. <laughs> but, yeah, when you get caught up, we'll talk about it for sure. Yeah, I'm excited. I really enjoy what I've seen before. I'm really enjoying rewatching it and awesome. paying more attention now that I know that I'm going to, you know, get through it. Well, good. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah, outside of that, that does it for about, you know, as far as what I've been up to outside of trying to stay warm, it's fucking freezing. Oh, shit, dude. The last couple of days got cold again. I'll tell you what. <laughs> yeah, we got spoiled. It was like 50s. It was uh, like 57 degrees, and then the next day it was like... It was ridiculous. 20 degrees. Yeah, with snow. Which isn't as cold yeah, as man. it gets here by any means. No, but not that's close. quite a difference. Yeah, it was a good swing, but... Yeah, so now we're all bundled up. We've got a good film on the docket for this evening, and I'm excited to talk about it. Dude, it just keeps throwing me off that it's not Monday. Anyway, yeah, we're going to get into Bone Tomahawk. Let's start with the guts and bolts. Guts and bolts. See what went into this movie. Bam. Guts and bolts. All right. Guts and bolts. Here's where we're going to talk about what went into the movie. Try to stay a little bit spoiler-free, but... Maybe point out some uh, names and faces involved with the project. Might make you want to be interested in going and view it. Yeah, I think it's a strong cast and a strong behind-the-scenes crew as well. So start with the synopsis. Yes. Uh, let's see. It's essentially just a standard Western rescue story. Yes. With horror elements. Four men on a boating rescue mission. Yeah, yeah, four men go on a rescue mission because of fucked up circumstances. Yeah, oh yeah. Involving, I'm not going to say his name quite yet, but involving a Fried Squirm's favorite cast member. Oh shit, yeah, but barely. We'll get to that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but yeah, I think that's a good synopsis. So we had mentioned this is the 58th film. It's a very rare Western horror. It is. It's a cross-genre mashup, but I like Um, it. I like it. Yeah. 
So let's go. Who do we have up on the dock? All right. So, director and writer of the film, making his directorial debut, is S. Craig Zoller. Now, I'm going to mention several films. He's directed, like I said, he's written, and he's also a musician and a novelist. So he has many hats that he can wear. So long story short, he's a director of a recent film called Brawl in Cell Block 99, starring Mr. Vincent Vaughn. He's also directed another film called Dragged Across Concrete, and he's also written the screenplays for both of those films, including a little film called Puppet Master Littlest Reich, which I'm kind of curious about, man. I do like some of the Puppet Masters. We've talked about the fact that we need to hit on oh, yeah. those at some point. I've always enjoyed the Puppet Masters as well. And uh, they are honestly, quite a Puppet Master entry. and Nazis, I am so fucking <laughs> in, so. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. He's also written the screenplay for Asylum Blackout, which, if I'm not mistaken, was like one of the first scripts that got picked up and turned into a horror film, so that was kind of neat. All right, so moving on from S. Craig Zoller, we have our cinematographer, who is Benji Bakshi. He's known for doing some films like Big Ass Spider, Traveling Salesman, Life on Earth. He's also the cinematographer for Brawl and Cell Block 99. He's done some work uh, with the comedy troupe Comedy Bang Bang. And he also, I like to go back, I think I've mentioned this before, I like to go back sometimes in people's filmography because it doesn't always get noted, but... If you've ever watched any of the Billy Blanks workout tapes, oh. he was a cinematographer for a lot of those workouts. Oh, no shit. Oh, yes, sir. So I wanted to write that down. It's like, how often are we going to be able to get to talk about that? I'm so, over here showing off my Billy Blanken. <laughs> I like it, dude. Yeah, so our editor is Greg DeAria. He's done work on films such as Fast and Furious 6, I Am Wrath, Star Trek Beyond, our other editor, because there's two, is Fred Raskin. Now, he's done work also with the Fast and Furious franchise. He did the very first film, Fast and Furious. He's also done work on Django Unchained, Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2, and The Hateful Eight. So those are some of the more notable films that these two gentlemen have edited for. Our music, I did mention S. Craig Zoller. He's a musician. He's done some work on this film with the music. And his music partner... I think they even play in a band together, is Jeff Harriet. Okay. All right, so Harriet, he's scored Brawl and Cell Block 99 and Scenes of Disclosure, which is a documentary. Like I said, these two gentlemen, if I'm not mistaken, they do play in a band together, which I thought was really cool. So uh, moving on from that, our special effects team is Platinum Platypus. They helped with the visual effects on this film. Our producers are Jack Heller and Dallas Saunier. And Dallas Saunier is actually S. Craig Rosaler's, it's his manager. So oh, they have a long running okay. history together. Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, I think he used some of his own money to help finance this film. Okay. Like at least half of it. And then the other half, they got it from a different production company, which I'll name in a little bit. Those are producers. Our production companies, quite a few. Caliber Media Company, Realm Builders Productions, which is a part of Harriet and Zoller's, their production. I even think it's like a name of, yeah, their heavy metal name. So that's where mm-hmm. they got that name from. The Joker Films, another production company. Twilight Writers, The Fizz, which they're in association with, that's the company that helped finance the rest for this film to get off the right. floor. Our distributors are RLJ Entertainment. They helped with the 2015 USA theatrical release. And Celluloid Dreams helped release all non-US media. Our budget was $1.8 million. Not that's a big budget, especially no. for the people involved. Considering, yeah. 
it has a stellar cast, which we'll mention in a minute. It's box office. Now, keep in mind, this was a super limited release, but it had a return of $235,000 for its limited release. Its premiere, September 25th, 2015, it made its world premiere at the Fantastic Fest located in Austin, Texas. It also got a premiere October 3rd, 2015 at the Charlotte Film Festival. I wanted to mention at least the Carolinas. <laughs> and it got a limited release here in the United States on October 23rd, 2015. Now, there is a tagline. I think it's pretty interesting. I like it. It says, May the Lord have mercy and grant you a swift death. Oh, okay. Uh, I like it, but I don't know how well it actually fits the movie. Yeah. Considering, not too bad. All right, so that rounds out my behind-the-scenes. Now, these are cast members, and I will say, I wrote down a lot of people. This might be the longest list of characters I've written down. Well, some immediately jump out, and we'll talk about those first. But I I do want to point out that there's a couple that I definitely want to bring up as well, because you watched this movie this week before I did. I did. I got an Uh, early jump on it. And at a point during the week, you came up to me, and you're like, oh, man, like I ended up looking up some of the cast members, and... And some of the shit they were involved in, man, I had no idea and shit, or, or something along those lines. I'm very paraphrasing. I know you're paraphrasing, but that's basically what I said. And I was going through this movie, and when I was watching it, I was like, thinking, like, well, well, why would you have to look him up? You know who he is. You know who he is. Then I realized that there was a specific group of characters that you would have to look up. Yeah, because if you blink, you might miss them. And once I started looking them up myself, I realized exactly why you said that to me. And so, and there was a couple... Na- yeah, there's some pretty big really names in this fucking jump. One in particular really jumped out at me because it goes right back to my youth in a nice. bad way. So. Yeah, there are several that jump right back to my youth. So, so I let's guess, go with the big Yeah, the big, we'll get the big draws. draw. Yeah. The huge draw because he takes up the whole top third of the theatrical poster. Yes, he does. He sure does for good reason. Kurt motherfucking Russell's in this movie. Yes, sir, man. I love the Kurt Russell. And we talked about childhood and I go way back with Mr. Russell. Big Trouble? Yeah, dude. Oh, I introduced dude, that to my nephew. I mean, we've often talked about our love for John Carpenter. Oh, yeah, man. Escape from New York is just a fantastic movie. Um, yeah. To tie into the history of the podcast and the fact that this podcast was born out of the fact that I had a different podcast back in the day, the theme for Smoke and the Breeze was based off of the Snake Plissken theme. Nice. Hell yeah, dude. That's a huge name, man. So I grew up watching films such as The Thing, and you mentioned Big Trouble in Little China. Then I started thinking about other films, like, what did I see outside of that? Well, he's in little films like Tango and Cash, No Big Deal. Uh, Stargate? Stargate, one of my favorite fucking films from the 90s, hands down. I would argue you up and down about that. There's a little film, not a big deal, decent cast, film called Tombstone. Oh, see, I thought you were going to say The Fox and the Hound. Well, that too. He does some voice work, which is really cool. He goes back and he did like some old school uh, TV shows. I didn't write them down, but I know he was a child actor too. Uh, Jungle Boy on an episode of Gilligan's Island. Yep. I used to watch the shit out of some Gilligan's Island, sir. I know I've seen that episode. So There's a movie where he was a Elvis Presley impersonator. A little film called 3,000 Miles to Graceland. I thought it was really cool. If you like hockey like I do, you might recognize him in the film Miracle. And if you like some Grindhouse-style films, he was in a film called Death Proof. I've actually always been a fan of his performance in Soldier. Yeah. Soldier was a great movie. I even think, I need to write some of these films down, but just off the top of my head, one is uh, Captain Ron, is one I remember in the 80s, which is pretty decent. 
And he was the uncredited voice of Elvis and Forrest Gump. Nice. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right about that. So I'm sure most, if not all, of our listeners have seen Kurt Russell in a few films, if nothing else. So next? It could be arguable. I, I see you. he got up, and I would argue he would probably be a bigger He's draw. the next. Yeah, maybe, yeah, probably bigger draw than... The next uh, person we'll mention. Uh-huh. Yeah. So let's go with Matthew Fox. Oh, yeah. Who probably plays the most interesting character in this movie. I love his character. He even mentions, you know, we talked about, this is not really a spoiler, but he did mention that he'd always kind of wanted to be in a Western. And he said he loved this film, you know, the role that he got to play in this film. All right. Now, when I think about Matthew Fox, I go back a little bit with Mr. Fox because I watched a little show on Fox, ironically enough, called Party of Five, where he played the eldest brother. That's right. He was Charlie, wasn't he? Yeah, there was a fox and a wolf on that show. <laughs> so I remember him from that. I think some of his more prominent roles, more largely, was probably his role on the TV show Lost. See, that's that's probably where he, he came into my mind at, was Lost. I didn't watch a lot of Lost, but I watched the first season. So yeah. even I think of him as Jack. We talked about the fact that we do like football, and he was in a film with Mr. McConaughey and a film called We Are Marshall, which is about the Marshall football program. Uh, and he was Racer X and fucking Speed Racer. Yeah, I dude. I really think people should watch that movie more than they seem to. It's a pretty beautiful movie, actually. Way to go, Wachowski sisters now, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. There's three films I'll mention really quick because he, I think this is some of the roles that he's probably known for, too, in film. He was in the film Smoking Aces. He was in the film World War Z and Bandage Point. And he also had a role on the television series back in 2002, a show called Haunted. So those are some of his roles that he's probably more well-known for. Really good actor, man. Oh, and his character's it. name is John Bruder. John Bruder, yeah. We didn't mention that, but <laughs> Kurt Russell's character is Sheriff Franklin Hunt. So we have Hunt, and we got Bruder. Our next big draw, because he's been in a shit ton of horror films lately, is Mr. Patrick Wilson. Now, I immediately think of Patrick Wilson as Night Owl. Yeah. From Watchmen. Hell yeah, dude. Because I even have a fucking Watchmen wall hanging in my room right now, like... I go back and I think of the maybe the first film or maybe the first show I saw him in. There was a show on HBO in the early 2000s called Angels in America. I think I might have watched an episode or two. It's decent. He played a Republican, but he was hiding in the closet and he was afraid to come out because of his faith and because of his political stance. Anyhow, pretty decent show, good cast. I also remember him from a film <laughs> where he plays a pedo. Fial and the film called Hard Candy with oh, Ellen Page. That's right. That's a pretty brutal little film. See, I was also going to bring up the fact that what I probably first saw him in was playing the role of Raul yeah. in 2004's Phantom of the Opera with Gerard Butler. That's a pretty awesome film. He was in that. He was also in a film with, if I'm not mistaken, I want to say it was Samuel L. Jackson in a film called Lakeview Terrace. He oh, was, I never did watch that. but I got looked, to see a little bit of it. It's not bad. He's also in the franchises, huge franchises right now, Insidious, The Conjuring. He is going to be in Aquaman or was in Aquaman. I was just about to say, as much as the DC film universe is kind of, not really flopping, those films are still making a lot of money, but they're not yeah. doing what they should be. I think there's a lot of hope in Aquaman, especially because Jason Momoa is the shit. Oh man, yeah, that's a huge draw. And Patrick Wilson is going to be Ocean Master. Awesome. He's the OM. <laughs> He was also in a little film called Prometheus, and I recognize him too because I enjoy the series. Didn't watch the third season, so I'm guilty of that. But he was 
on the second season of a show called Fargo, which was on mm-hmm. FX. Really good show. There's another cast member who was also on that show I'll mention. So those are some of the films that I'm familiar with and probably more of our audience are familiar with with uh, Mr. Patrick Wilson. And he plays Arthur O'Dwyer in the film. All right. So moving on from him is another big name, Richard Jenkins. He plays Deputy Chicory Corey in this film. And when I think of uh, old Richard, Mr. Dick, there's a couple of films I think about. Probably one of them, probably the biggest one that I can think of was Step Brothers. He plays... <laughs> Uh. <laughs> the dad of oh. uh, John C. Riley in the film. Right. <laughs> so anyhow, he was in Step Brothers. He was in some really cool shows, man. He was in Six Feet Under as the father in that show, ironically enough, too. That has a huge cast. Great show, man. Really liked it a lot. Oh, he was very recently in a little movie that we're actually going to go see yeah. tonight. Yeah, I just uh, saw that, too. So. I mean, I haven't seen the film, but the, his role, yeah. But he is in The Shape of Water yeah, dude. by Mr. Guillermo del Toro, who GDT love. So. He was in a remake of a Swedish horror film. He was in the remake of Let the Right One In, and he was, let, he was in Let Me In. He was also in a Bradolf Pittler film, Burn After Reading, <laughs> with Mr. Clooney. He was also in The Witches of Eastwick, when we go back a little bit. He was in a movie, Wolf, with Mr. Nicholson. I think he was the dad in The Indian in the Cupboard, since we're talking about right. Disney a little bit. Yeah. He was in Me, Myself, and Irene. He was in Stealing Harvard. There's something about Mary. Yeah, dude. He's been in so many films, man. I'm sure our audience would recognize him as soon as they see him. There's a film that we're going to be doing soon. I don't want to mention it, and I don't want to mention exactly what he does in that film, but we're going to be talking about him in a couple of weeks again. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. So without giving too much away, maybe... That's our probably our top build yeah. actors. Yeah, for I sure. I don't want to mention exactly what you know what they're a part of right right yet, but our first that's the four. Yeah, when that's we say the four. four people head out to on a fucking yeah. So I didn't want to people. spoil too much, but that doesn't really give much away. No, that's the four. That's that's who you're looking at. That's who most of this movie follows. Yes. All right, and so to, we have appearances by yes appearances by and i'll name the first big one is lily simmons she plays samantha dwyer in the film and she's been in some really cool shit we've talked about mcconaughey we like woody harrelson she was in true detective on hbo that's right all right so she was a part of that she's also a part of the tv series banshee if you watch that she's also made appearances on the hbo show westworld the CBS drama Hawaii Five O. She's also on Donovan, which is a Showtime show. Yeah, yeah read on. I, I need to watch that. I keep hearing good things. Good about cast, her. man. Mm-hmm. Leif Schreiber and John Voight. I like um, me some Leif Schreiber. Yeah, tell you fuck what. yeah. She was also in the films Bad Match and Dirty Lies. Okay. Now we talked about. Well, there's two guys back to back. We're going to be really probably slurping off a little bit. The first one I want to mention. I like him. I've mentioned it. I don't know how many times. I will defend him no matter what. Diamond upside down is, is a pussy. pussy. So we love, when I say we, me, <laughs> Tyler, David Arquette plays Purvis in this film. We've mentioned him several times. You mean Buddy, right? Buddy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Buddy. <laughs> he was in the more recent film that we reviewed, uh, Ravenous, even though it's not a more recent film, but we did review him in that, and also Scream. So if you want to hear some of his credits, you can refer to some of those movies. But we got Eight Legged Freaks. Yeah, Eight Legged Freaks. We've talked about Ready to Rumble was another one. Scream, several of those films. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah, he sure was, man. 
Airheads. Kiss and Tell. Yeah, he was also in the 3,000 Miles to Graceland. He was in, yeah, I think that's about what I had written down. I mean, he's been in a ton of other shit. He was also Mr. Courtney Cox for a little bit as well, so I like David. All right, moving on from David is another huge name because we mentioned him before also in our House of a Thousand Corpses episode, and we're talking about the legendary Sid Haig. As... Smatter boy, don't you like clowns? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tootie fucking fruity. Oh, my God, Sid Haig. <laughs> he does make a small appearance in this. He does. He does a good job, too. To draw. Sid Haig did a bunch of exploitation movies over the year. We've talked extensively about... Yeah, man. He was with, about with his Cam Greer and shit. And yeah, in a lot of those films. Back during our House of a Thousand Corpses episode. But really, all you need to know is that's kind of horror legend right there, in a way. Exploitation legend. Yeah, we said Foxy Brown, Shaft. He was even in uh, George Lucas's premiere, which was THX 1138. Mm-hmm. He was in Diamonds Are Forever. We did talk about the fact that he was in the... The 66, 1966, that is, Batman as Royal Apothecary. Oh, yeah, for King Tut. Yeah, which is really dope. He was in uh, Wonder Woman. He was in 07s. We're talking about Rob Zombie's Halloween. I mean, he's been in so much shit, man. He was in Hatchet Part 3, Kill Bill Volume 2. I mean, come on. We could talk about him forever. But, yeah, I think that's uh, another really cool guest appearance in this film. Now there's some others that are really fucking dope. Okay, so I'm curious to see who you're going to name off. As, All right. as opposed to who I'm going to name. Off. I know there's a list so your in front of your first one. The first one that really surprises shit out of me, and I'm going to go way out in left field for this one. All right. And he plays the mayor in this film. This kid's name is Jameson Lulander. See, that's not somebody I He's not a down. kid. All right. Why would I mention him? He's in the film all of maybe a minute. All right. Now, he plays a character named Alan Frog. He's also a part of the Frog Brothers. Motherfucking Lost Boys. The motherfucking Lost Boys. And when I saw that, I was like, when the fuck was he in this film? Because <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I watched it and I didn't realize it until I started looking at the cast. And I was like, what the shit? So yeah, he plays our mayor. Like I said, he's in this film for maybe all of a minute. More famously known as Alan Frog. Now he's done some other stuff. Uh, not a whole lot, but he was in the 1988 Blob movie. I know we mentioned that several times. Mm-hmm. He was also in Young Blood: Evil Intentions. Ironically enough, he played the mayor in that. And he was also, I think it was the show, A Tale of Two Corys. I think he made some appearances on that. But yeah, I mean, outside of that, he's got little bit pieces here and there. And just like that, he's got all of three or four lines in this film. All right. So my first one for deep into this movie. Yeah, dude. And I don't want to give too much away, but I'll just say, I'm not going to give the full name of this character. Okay. I'm just going to call him Noseless. Okay. Played by Brandon Malale. Gotcha. Now, Brandon Malale is probably better known, especially to all of us within a certain age range that love comedies, as Blazer in Dodgeball. Oh, nice, dude. No shit. He was also the New York Jets quarterback, Kevin Ward, in the Adam Sandler comedy, Mr. Deeds. Damn. You know, I don't think I wrote him down at all. And there's a reason why, because a lot of the other cast in this, I don't want to mention quite exactly what they do. He was also I think he was a part of that, yeah. Just a movie that I've watched a lot of times because my brother liked it. He was also the doorman in Master of Disguise. Nice. That's a good fucking film. Hell yeah, dude. I did not have him written down, so kudos to you. All right. There's another actor I didn't realize was in this film. Because the same reason. He's all in it for maybe two minutes. But this guy's name is Michael Perry. And he plays Mr. Wallington in the film. 
That's another one I didn't have written down. Why did I write him down? Well, I recognized him for two films. One of them I have talked about briefly. But if you're familiar with 80s films, you might have seen him as a lead in Eddie and the Cruisers. <laughs> he was a lead. He was Eddie. He was also in a film called The Philadelphia Experiment, which is it's kind of controversial a little bit. It's about a ship that disappeared in broad daylight using certain technology, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, time travel. But he's also been in films like Village of the Damned. We've talked about the virgin suicide several times because of the cast members, uh, one being James Woods, one also being Mr. Hartnett, Josh Hartnett, that is. He was also in the film Blood Rain, Streets of Fire, Gone, The He does Lincoln a lot Warrior. of weird bullshit. He does. He was also in the television series The Greatest American Hero, so maybe some of our, our audience who go back a little bit further than we do might have recognized him in that. So yeah, he's all like sitting in this film for maybe like two minutes. Streets of Fire? Yeah, dude. Like I said, he's been in some cool shit. I didn't realize that was him <laughs> until I looked up the credit. So that's another guy that I wanted to mention. All right. So my next one, another character that I can't say too much about the okay, character okay. without getting into spoilers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the character's name is Sharp Teeth. Okay. Played by Jay, I is think it's Tavare. 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 Yeah, Tavare. Yeah, nice. I'm not positive on that. Tavare, to something. Someone can fact anyway, check Anyway, <laughs> there's a big reason I wanted to bring okay. him up. The movie's terrible, but <laughs> I grew up playing a lot of video games. Okay. And loved the Street Fighter series as far oh, as uh, you know, fighting games are concerned. Yeah, and one of my dope. favorite characters was always Vega. He was mm. Vega in the Street Fighter movie. No shit, man. All right, since you brought this up, back in the nineties when I played that game, Street Fighter Two, Vega used to kick my ass all up and down, and I he used to give me the biggest fits. So Dude, I sucked with <laughs> Vega, and it pissed me off because my friend that I'd play with most often. He fucking kicked ass with Vega, yeah. so I would love the character of Vega and get my ass kicked constantly by him. Not even by, like, computer Vega, just by my buddy being <laughs> yeah, way being better Vega. Vega than me. That's pretty awesome. I didn't have him written down because he is a part of a cast that we don't want to mention quite yet. All right, so there is one, I mean, there's several, but there's one in particular I want to mention. Another actor, he's all in this film for maybe another minute, right? This guy's name is James Tolkien. He's the pianist in this film. Now, why did I mention him? Well, if you're familiar with any of the Michael J. Fox Back to the Future films, you would know him as the principal. He's also in little films like Top Gun, War Games, a film called Serpico, Love and Death. He was in the Amityville Horror. He was also in a film that I really dig from the 1980s, starring Mr. Dolph Lundgren, Masters of the Universe. He was also in Dick Tracy, if you like Warren Beatty and Madonna. He was also in an episode of Tales from the Crypt. The episode is The Trap from 1991. And you might also recognize him if you're a fan of the Problem Child films, but he was in Problem Child 2. So I was like, damn, yes, I recognized him. I just couldn't remember exactly where from until I saw the credits. Uh, I have two more extremely little ones, but I still thought it was interesting. Okay, cool. Ra Liba plays a character that we're just going to call Wolf Skull. Okay, cool. I wanted to mention Ra. Because he's a be- big dude. Because <laughs> he's a big dude. He's fucking ripped. Uh, because one of the best TV shows I've ever watched, The Wire. Yeah, hell yeah. He was in three episodes playing the bodyguard for Idris Elba's Stringer nice. Bell. Hell yeah. And I believe he ends up meeting his end at the hands of Omar and uh, Brother Muzone. Nice. So. Okay, cool. And the other one I wanted to mention, Zon McLaren who plays the professor. Yep. I, I did have him written I down. literally wanted to mention him just because he grew up in Browning, Montana. 
Oh, no shit. I didn't know that. I know about Browning's or near reputation. Browning, anyway. Near Browning. Nice, dude. I've actually got him written down, too. Did you get any of his credits? I mean, I'm looking at a couple of them right here, mm-hmm. but... I've got some of them down. I mean, some of them are kind of neat, but nothing, like, really jumps out at me in a right. big, bad way. There was a few I got written down. One episode of Baywatch. He was in Living Color from 1993. He was in uh, the Dangerous Minds television series in 96 and 97. He was also in Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. He does our lens of voice in the Red Dead Redemption video game. He was on the show The Ringer. He's also in Fargo with Patrick Wilson. Same season, season two. He's the other gentleman I was going to mention. He played Hansi Dent. He was a henchman on that show. Mm. He was also on the television show The Sun. He makes an appearance in Westworld on the television uh, show. And also in Frontier. So that was kind of neat. Glad you had him written down too. He actually has a, a name I think I got written down. I mean, I know he goes by the professor, but they actually gave him a name. All right. There's a few other people I want to mention Two big names. One we've mentioned before, but I'm going to go the other route. I'm going to go with a female cast member, and her name is Sean Young. She plays Mrs. Porter. She is the mayor's wife, and there's a reason why I had her written down. Blade Runner, Sean Young? Fucking L. She was also in Dune. She was in uh, a little... Ace Ventura Pet Detective, Yes, Sean she Young. was. She was also in a little Bill Murray film called Stripes. She's in the film No Way Out. You might recognize her in the film Wall Street. Dune? Yeah. Like I said, we did mention Pet Detective. She kind of went dormant. I think she's had some really rough breakups throughout her career, so she's kind of taken some downfalls here and there. But, I mean, she's had some really iconic roles, especially in Blade Runner. So that was kind of neat. So I had her written down. She's not in the film very long, but she is definitely worth mentioning. I do also want to mention this fun little Sean Young story. Tim Burton's Batman. She was cast as Vicki Vale. Nice. But during rehearsals, she broke her arm after falling off a horse, and that's when it went to Kim Basinger. Yeah. Now, when it came to Batman Returns, she really wanted the role as Catwoman. Yeah. And she showed up at the studios in a fucking cat suit. Nice. I can go ahead and tell you she didn't get the part. I already know that. Yeah. (laughs) And I believe she even tried to contact them even when it went into production without her. And went on the Joan Rivers show as Catwoman, wow. campaigning to get the part from Tim wow. Burton, even though it was already mid-production. Like I said, she was known for having some kind of bizarre outbursts, but uh, I did have her written down. There's one other guy I want to mention, because we mentioned him before. He plays a character in another Rob Zombie film, House of a Thousand Corpses. I'm talking about Mr. Robert Allen Mukes. He plays a sentinel in this. Now, we did mention... On our episode of House of a Thousand Corpses. He no is, shit. Yes, sir. He sure is, man. He was in Westworld. He was in Coffin 2, television series Weeds, and Slumber Party Massacre. I didn't even look at... Oh, shit. Fucking hell, dude. I That's told you, cool. this cast is crazy. You think him and Sid were hanging out? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. All right. Let's see here. God damn it. There's several people, but I'm going to try to breeze through them. All right. The next big person I want to talk about in this film is Fred Malamud. He plays yeah, the Clarence. Funny, the funny thing is, is they're big people, but all of these people that we've named for the past time minutes are have are in the film for like twenty seconds. That's what I'm saying. If you blink, you're going to miss them. But they need to be noted because I can't believe this cast, man. All right, Fred Malamud. He plays Clarence. Like I said, he's the bartender, the salon owner, maybe. 
Now, people might recognize him for his work on Silk Stockings, a television show. He does voice acting for shows like Courage the Cowardly Dog. He was the NCAA football video game announcer from like 98 through the mid-2000s. <laughs> That's awesome. He was in the movie The Dictator. He was also a voice in Grand Theft Auto V. And you might recognize his voice on the show Adventure Time. So I had him written down. That's Fred. Wait, if he's who I think he is in Grand Theft Auto V, let me look this yeah, up. Really yeah, yeah, we'll take a pause. That's hilarious. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay, so not only is he a voice in Grand Theft Auto V, he's the voice of the leader of the Epsilon program, which is like the crazy religious cult, yep. which is an insane side quest that I love to death. But awesome. Ooh, that is <laughs> fucking hilarious. That's funny, Jesus isn't it? Christ, Epsilon program. I, I didn't think I'd run into that shit again. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> it's pretty awesome, isn't it? All right, there's another gentleman. He plays Deputy Nick, Evan Yonikit. He's in films like X-Men, Days of Future Past. Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. He's on the television series Frontier. And X-Men Dark Phoenix. There's another lady I want to mention really quick, Catherine Morris. She plays Lorna Hunt. No, it's okay. Lorna Hunt in the film. She is Kurt Russell's wife. She is not in it very long, but you might have seen her in films like Minority Report, Mindhunter. She was on Cold Case, Paycheck, Reverie TV uh, series, and a film called Artificial Intelligence. There's, let's see, two more people, and then I can probably take a breather and not have to worry about any more of this cast, all right? One guy plays Romario. He's in this film for another one minute, maybe. Now, rather to bring him up because he was on Dexter, the television series. He makes an appearance in General Hospital, Homeschooled. He was in the film We Bought a Zoo. I recognized him from the television series Eastbound and Down. He plays Danny McBride's Downsy brother <laughs> in Mexico. <laughs> So you might recognize him in that. He was in Casper, the movie Get Hard, Borderland, the television series, Grinder, and Office Christmas Party. His name is Eric Chaveria. There was one more fellow, Gino Seegers. He plays BT. That's all I'm going to say about that. He was on the television series Banshee. He's in the television series Teen Wolf, Pair of Kings, From Dust Till Dawn, the television series. And he's also in Brawl and Cell Block 99. Damn, quite the ensemble cast. Unfortunately, most of those people are in it for, like I said, maybe a minute, two tops at best. It's still worth mentioning, though, as you pointed out. I agree. Uh, so let's see. With all of that past us, God, thank God, finally. Yeah, that rounds out the cast. Let's get into the warning. Yes, we definitely should give warnings for this film. Warning, this movie is two hours, 12 minutes long. That's the first warning, so... Prepare yourselves, because it is quite a bit of a, a journey with this film. Some it language, is, not very much. A little bit of language. Some violence. A little bit of nudity. Some, yeah, there's some boobs. There's some pretty good gore when there's gore, but there's I, not I even that. wrote that down. I was like, there's not a lot of blood and gore, but for the but moments that there, there is... It's like exploitation level. Oh, yeah. If you don't like crunching sounds during scenes with the body you might might turn you off a little bit there's and a little bit of racism there is i mean given this is another time period film mm -hmm. the old west yeah i'm trying to think of anything else we should mention i mean 
don't watch it if you don't like the old west don't watch it if you don't like people eating body parts oh yeah don't want to say too much more about that yeah do have to mention we'll get it though. To that we have to mention it but but that's as far as i'll go with it i'm ready to talk about this goddamn movie now because there's things i need to say <laughs> yeah i know right so without further ado so now, yeah, let's uh, get into how did Bone Tomahawk us make us squeal. How does that make you squeal? All right, we're back to you guys. It's like squeal we never left. left. It's time for us to squeal about this movie. Now, uh, this is going to be kind of interesting. Yeah, I agree. At least for me. For <sighs> So this is another one of those movies where I feel like I have to put it out on Front Street. I really, really, really enjoy this movie. However, when I was trying to think of what I was going to say earlier, yeah. I realized, as I was running through things in my head, that it's hard for me to talk about this movie and make it sound like I actually like this movie. I kind of have a lot of criticism of this movie. That's understandable. And I don't know what it is. Maybe it's one of those things maybe that hits a little bit close to home. I think I've mentioned before that I really like Westerns. Yeah. If you were one of the people that went and listened to my rant about the latest Star Wars movie and how much I loved it, because how it kind of felt like a spaghetti western to me and stuff, that's probably a little bit more apparent. But And I think I've had a couple other opportunities to go off about it in the past, too. And So I really like westerns, and this movie is a western through and through. But it's complicated because the things I like about this movie are kind of bound up in the things I don't like about this movie. Okay. <laughs> Let me think. This movie's very much like the, like I mentioned before, like a Western, like, rescue. Exactly. You follow this group of people, you have these certain story beats and shit that you see either imitated or done over and over again of, like, the, the group around the campfire going through morality battles and character tales and shit. Right, and, right. Or just stories to keep them going sometimes, depending on how many they do. This movie does a lot of that scene yeah. <laughs> over and over again. So you kind of get a little bit of all of that. You see that in, even in modern westerns, Ape It, with like, you have Vaults and Django around the campfire scenes in Django Unchained, which right. is also very much a western. I'm just sort of trying to throw something out there people might know rather than some of the older shit, but you can see that sort of thing in like 310 to Yuma, which isn't quite a rescue story, but is the same sort of travel to do something in the very end story with the same sort of setups around the campfire. This movie does it beautifully, and it makes it long as shit and fucking boring as hell. (laughs) I mean, it it does have... It's a slow burner. Oh, it's a slow burn, and it makes... It makes it so beautiful, but it's juxtaposed with fucking crazy over-the-top exploitation. It like, is. this is the spoiler section. It's a fucking tribe of troglodytes. Yeah, exactly. They call them troglodytes. It seems like they're just an extremely inbred, crazy-ass band of Indians. Exactly. And that's what I think even the professor had mentioned, you know, when he was describing these people. He's like, these aren't my people. Mm-hmm. They're a spoiled bloodline of inbred animals who rape and eat their own mothers. When you look at the structure of this movie, it could be any group. It could be. It could be just normal Indians out there. It could be just bandits of some sort. Because all it is is your standard, like, 
grab people and you're going to off them one by one. Yeah. They just dial it up to 11 by making it crazy. <laughs> yeah. They put crazy holes. Well, like I said, we're talking about spoilers here. So that group to kick start all the things off is, you know, first their burial ground was desecrated. We learned that a little bit later on, but it's by two characters who are in the film all of a few minutes at best, right? David Arquette and Sid Haig, their characters. And because of a, an incident with a bullet in a leg, our character O'Dwyer's wife, mm-hmm. Samantha, she winds up getting abducted with Deputy Nick, and that leads to that slow, long burn rescue mission and all that stuff. But they throw that twist, or he throws the twist in that this is a group of, I don't know, mutants or inbred, what have you, but they're also cannibals. One of the beautiful, wonderful things about this movie is the amount of realism that's in it, except for the fact that they're going against like these mutant cannibals. They're not even real mutants, although no. they do have some pretty extreme body modifications. They do. Although, I mean, it looks like it's like ritualized. It's not something beyond imagination, but it's yeah. f- fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> it is. There's a lot of things I did enjoy about it, but you're right. I felt like this movie could have been just as successful if it were, like, say, an hour and a half, hour 45 it is a slow burner. It's kind of like, all right, kind of get to the point already. But, I mean, I like some of the dialogue. I do enjoy some of the back and forth. Now, I want to say that one of the big saving graces of this movie is that everyone acts their fucking ass off. As I was watching, in particular, Kurt Russell's performance, Matthew Fox's performance, and Patrick Wilson's performance, these are three actors that I'm very familiar with. I've seen them in quite a few different things. I'm used to seeing their face. Even though I only watched one season of Lost, mild roommate, Jesse, you guys have heard him on the show before, he digs him some Lost. He's watched a lot of Lost. He re-went through Lost while he was living here. Right. So I've seen shit here and there out of order. Yeah. I mean, obviously, Kurt Russell, as I pointed out, very familiar face, fucking Night Owl, Patrick Wilson, and they were doing such a good job that I was losing their face in their character right. while I was watching. And that's they, they stopped being them, and they started being their character. Mm-hmm. And that's a very high point of this movie that helps bring it out of what it could be slogging through that two hours 12. You know what was interesting, too, about what we were talking about the cast is... I didn't realize it was Richard Jenkins who was playing Chicory at first. Mm. I was like, man, this guy's, he's pretty good at hamming it up, but he's believable as that character too, you know? So So he's, oh shit. Although he's believable, he was one of the, almost another problem. It wasn't quite a problem I had with the movie, but I got about two thirds of the way through the movie and it's not just his character. There's a few other things that pop up as well, but 80% of it's because of his character And I started having to ask myself, is this movie intending to be as funny as it is? I know. Because it also felt very dissonant with the way the rest of the movie was going. There are a lot of those moments, I think specifically with his character too, where he almost feels like the comic relief. Almost like he does not hammering up as maybe like Don Knotts would, you know, but... He does give these weird moments of just like this weird conversation. Specifically, one that I remember is about the fleas. Oh, right. And you it's know, like, huh, where, does that, where did that come from? And that's the thing. It's a great, wonderful humanizing moment. It is. But it also, especially with how long it goes on and shit, yeah. it doesn't need to go on that long. You can show that he's a simpleton in a few, shorter story than that. Yeah, I, I totally agree. <laughs> I mean, and some it of was them are just like yeah. awkward. It was awkwardly comical. It was. In a way where I sort of started feeling bad for him. You do. I think 
Which, maybe, like I said, that was the humanizing element. Exactly. It, maybe you're trying to sympathize a little bit with this character because of circumstances and whatnot. But aside from that, I think you're right. The top three build, gentlemen, tremendous. I think Matthew Fox did a fucking fantastic job as Brooder, man. He was really good. <laughs> that was also something that sat very weirdly with me, was the Brooder story and the fact that the most interesting character in this entire thing was a bigot. Oh, he was. And they took the time to call him out as a bigot. It took was kind of interesting. And yeah. I was like, ooh, does that fit into a period piece? Maybe coming from that character? Okay. Yeah. And, you know, you eventually get to learn what he was withholding for a long time. I do like one line. It's kind of unfortunate what happens to one of the horses, brooders in particular, oh, right. right? And Chikri, he's like, he's like, did you teach your horse to be bigot too? <laughs> and we find out she resisted, so maybe... <laughs> mm-hmm. but that's the thing bigotry gets called out a couple times in this only to have the bad guys still be physically pretty much exactly not just humans but native americans <laughs> yeah it's which was weirdly dissonant with what I, I felt what it was trying to preach i know what you mean and then like the professor he even calls it out like you wouldn't be able to tell the difference he does he's indicating that he, there's out. a difference but then he's not willing to go along yeah, no. and sort of show them the difference instead. It still just be ends up being these. Maybe that's you know a point that he was, like I guess in a, in a sense the exploitation method. You know, he's showing it how they're still viewed as like savages in and that's a sense. A, mm-hmm. And that's the thing. There, I mean, this all sits within the realistic part of this movie. Yep. But then everything about the action is cranked up to exploitation levels. Oh, it, it and certainly you just is. Have the ridiculousness of troglodytes out in the desert. I have nothing better to call them than troglodytes. I mean, that's what they're referred to as. <laughs> Trogs is what I wrote down a lot. And I kind of wish you would have shortened this movie by not even 20 minutes. I'm not you calling could. I mean, that still makes it an hour 50 minute movie, which is still a rather long movie. And play up the exploitation angle a little bit more. Especially because it, it kind of sets you up for it and then yeah, I know what you mean. Let's off, because the movie opens up with David Arquette slitting somebody's throat. Yeah, and you hear the crunching sound of it, too. You end up, what, uh, Sid Hyde got beheaded, right? I know he got shot with an arrow. Then he, I know he got stabbed. I think it was leading to that. And then you get nothing for a long time. For a long stretch. Until the end. And this was the other problem I had. I felt like this, it still felt realistic, which is partially what this movie was going for, but that set you up for a lot of things that were then just either anticlimactic or never happened. They set up the fact that they have dynamite early on. Yeah. Show a cave. Fucking Bruder is supposed to set off the dynamite to try to take out as many of them as he can, but he gets killed right away. (laughs) But that leaves the dynamite in place for the fact that Patrick Wilson is coming up. Yeah. But he never grabs it. You have this Chekhov gun just laying there. You have yeah. fucking dynamite, and they're cave dwellers. And nothing comes of that. Yeah, exactly. Shit, there was something else that I felt was... You get set up with the fact that Patrick Wilson, Dwyer's wife, is a very capable, very intelligent woman very early on in the movie. But then, once she's abducted, and she's given a great performance, Lily Simmons did a great job. Yeah, I mean, she portrayed her character... In a light where, like you said, she was intelligent. She was very capable. She was knowledgeable. She even points out like the faults and what these gentlemen are doing and what it can lead to. She points it out in a broader picture later on. 
I was going to say something very particular, but it does lead to a bigger, broader point anyway. I felt like there was a way more interesting story that happens within this movie that they just didn't tell. They choose to follow the men going, trying to find the group, and they have to split apart, and it's going back and forth between the group and Patrick Wilson. The group and Patrick Wilson. And they finally show up to rescue all the people in the end. And you end up finding out that fucking Purvis fucking spilt his fucking beans as like a deathbed confession while he's getting killed. And it sounds like Deputy Nick had kept on grilling him the entire time and was still fucking trying to go all gung-ho for the law. Yeah. And somehow Dwyer's wife, I can't remember her name. Samantha. Samantha knew, had seen and knew exactly how many of them there were and saw the horrific state that the women were in. But this is all just told to you later on. I feel like it would have been a way more effective story if you would have just not had Patrick Wilson be as hurt as he was, still hurt, so that he has to break off from the group later on, Yeah, but able to keep up with them most of the way. And instead of bouncing back and forth between him Him and the the other three guys, bounce back and forth between the guys and the wife. Yeah, oh yeah, it would make more sense, you would think. And then you could mirror Patrick Wilson's perseverance in trying to find her with her perseverance to survive. You could show rather than tell mm-hmm. Purvis spilling his guts. Not only could you mirror her perseverance, you could mirror the sense of duty installed in the deputy with him still focusing mostly on Purvis despite their circumstances. Yeah. With the sense of duty Kurt Russell feels to try to go save these people no matter what the cost. Exactly. He still wants to carry out justice in, his, you know, in that sense. I do feel like, like you said, once the abduction occurs, you have to wait a very long time before you see any of those characters again. And when you do, it's very abbreviated. You just don't see Purvis again. No, you don't. Not at all. You you literally hear what happened to him, and you don't even hear the details. And in all that time, there was no real tension being built up. I think the Mexican banditos scene was supposed to be (laughs) tension-ish. Ish, yeah. But sure. I think it was supposed to be both tension plus, you know, adding that moral gray layer. I was going to say, yeah, there's like a little bit of that moral fiber telling. But instead, it didn't really add any tension. They never seemed like a threat to begin with. No. Instead of playing in the middle, could they be a threat? Could they not be a threat? Two assholes never really seemed like a threat and instead only enforced the moral gray area and didn't keep the tension building throughout the movie. There instead was just this dead part. You know, I think what's interesting, too, you have to pay attention a little bit. I'm not saying you in general, but people in general. It's a tale about four white guys back in those uh, Western times. So knowing that, you know, it's important to know a little bit of history going into these type of films, whether it's intentional or not, I think it probably was, was that they were doing things with total, like, disregard and abandon because of certain, I don't know, beliefs, you know, they carry out justice. Kurt Russell has to shoot Purvis because he escaped like he had a gun. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that, you know, but it, it was unnecessary. Samantha's, her character in general, she points out, she's like, it's, you know, it's not the fact that we're on the frontier when you have to worry about the elements and the Indians. We have to worry about the idiots. She points it out, and these guys are essentially are a bunch of fucking idiots, you know? 
couple of the other little gripes I did have with this movie, just because, like I said, the high points of this movie really do elevate it a lot more than what I'm making it sound like. No, it, but, I mean, there are faults in this film. But for as realistic as it treats most of the injuries in this movie, because when somebody gets hurt, oh, they immediately hurt. start getting hurt. <laughs> yeah. Except for the fact that Patrick Wilson re-injures that leg mm, it's like nice 17 times <laughs> over the course of their fucking walk. Yeah. And it wasn't looking good to begin with. No, that shit was nasty. And if anything, by the end of the movie, he's walking better. He's healed. <laughs> Jesus. It's weird, man. Yeah, I understand what you're getting at, too. Because he that's also, as someone who grew up in the West, roaming along the mountainsides, that lot of land that looks a lot like what they were going through, which, mm-hmm. way to go, location scouts. I do want to point that out. He was possibly, like, the worst picker of a trail to fucking walk on in the goddamn world. Like, no fucking wonder he kept re-hurting himself, because he wasn't even fucking paying attention at all to where he was going. No, he was just walking (laughs) in a general direction. He was fucking terrible at that. And I realized that he's supposed to be, like, trying to hurry to get his wife and all this shit. But he makes these fucking idiotic decisions. Like, let me go down this slope. Oh. (laughs) Hurts himself really bad. And for the way the rest of the injuries are handled in this movie, I felt like that was kind of glaring in retrospect because he is continually rehurting it. Yeah, man. And only walks better and better at it on it as the plot demands. <laughs> Once his leg gets set back in a certain point in this film, that's when you start to notice that process. Like, even though he's taking these bad falls and twists and turns and. Ooh, it's clear, bad yeah. Too. It's clear that he's hurting and struggling, and that shit. There's no way that shit's any better. <laughs> and instead of getting these scenes with him struggling, just have him not be as bad off, so that he's still the same amount of bad in the very end. Right. If you start cutting back and forth to the other group instead, then you can still ratchet up tension by actually seeing what happens to Purvis, what kind of questioning I got him to be fucking more crack. In that. Yeah. Like what? Happens? Like to fucking give his deathbed confessional. I'm saying, why they didn't give Arquette more time? I mean, and it's probably just Arquette couldn't be on fucking set that long, is yeah. what I would guess. Well, but... I understand that this film was filmed like in Because like I said, because his body didn't even come back. No, not at all. Once, like I said, once the abduction occurs, the only, out of those three people who get abducted, you only get to see two of them. And one of them gets off in a pretty brutal way. And I'd also say, like we mentioned before, the females in their grotesque state and... Mm how fucked up that was <laughs> at the point that we actually see it extremely anticlimactic yeah it kind of is i mean yeah it's it's fucked up it's kind of disturbing but eh. technically i guess there are still three males left but it's three that we've never seen mm. that we never do get to see don't ever act, actually seem to present any threat to the group as they leave kurt russell behind to be the one to deal with them and you already know he's going to deal with them because maybe the other way to go is have them attack the group and have it be an extremely grim ending because at that point there's no way those three could fend off three of the trogs. No, there's no way. Not in that state. (laughs) But at that point, everything about the movie makes it feel like you're coming to an ending and you just have to be sad when you know that Kurt Russell's dead. And then they give the three shots and... Yeah, then you kind of know what's happening. This movie does go in a lot of different directions and I think it could have played itself out a little differently and got a bigger point across... And the thing is, those visuals make me interested in this movie. Like the fucking it was really horrific, well the horrific state of the females, the fucking totems outside of the 
of their area of the valley there. Yeah. The extreme body modifications. I wanted to know. They all made me very curious about the trogs. I wanted to know more about their rituals with like that burial ground. Mm, I want oh, to yeah, know what they too. did. That yeah. was awesome as well. They could have played a little bit more on that. Made it more horror, maybe, perhaps. Yeah, it really didn't have to be them in any case to begin with. You can slot in banditos. Exactly. And I want to serve the, the same purpose. Yeah. And they serve the exact same purpose in the story. And I guess I just wish when I was watching it that it leaned more on the horror exploitation elements because mm-hmm. it seemed that it was troglodytes just to have an excuse to split fucking Deputy Nick in half. <laughs> yeah. Which, can we talk about that real quick? That was pretty awesome. That was fucking worth watching this movie for. That yeah. five minute scene is. It's pretty brutal. Not even man. five minutes, three minutes. As someone who enjoys fucking intense gore in their movies was fucking awesome (laughs) yeah what i liked about that was as they were chopping you also saw doo-doo stains Mm -hmm. like he was shitting himself that's realistic (laughs) who was it i think chicory turned his back like he couldn't watch it you could hear the crunching sounds and whatnot so yeah, they play that up perfect. Why couldn't they have done that a little bit more throughout the film? The flask being shoved in Kurt Russell, that was pretty dope, to be honest. And then he reached for it, too. Oh, and, man. Mm, that would have hurt like shit. Like the hands chopping off and shit, like that was all dope. Yeah. Uh, the finger I, lopped off. Even fucking Matthew Fox being offed earlier than expected for how skilled he seemed to be. I know, right? I'm down with that idea. I just wish they would have used the explosives that were then left on his fucking corpse. There was an instance where he makes a claim that when he's setting those traps, the bells or whatnot, tripwire, he's like, don't worry. He's like, I'll probably outdraw all of you, but don't expect me to save you, (laughs) you know? And then later on, he's like, got a a bandito on top of him, stabbing Mm -hmm. him and shit. And then he gets his hand lopped off. It's like, he's he's not as good as he says he is, I don't believe. Well, no, that first shot, though. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he was good with that. You hear the yelping. I mean, he took those two guys out with no remorse, man. Reckless abandon. He said, I feel like the journey itself was very long. It did play on the camp, you know, like, oh, here's a stopping point. Here's going to go. You know, you kind of felt, you know, which direction it was kind of going in. But it, it played itself out way too long. Doesn't mean I didn't enjoy it. I'm just saying it could have been a lot shorter and got the same point across. And the other thing I was kind of surprised by was with how extreme the violence did go and what they were willing to show on screen. There was a lot of other instances where I felt like they really held back, mm-hmm. and it made me curious. With the Matthew Fox revelation of his mom and sister getting yeah. ki- just killed, I thought it was going to be a lot worse than that when he started in on that story, just even based on what we had already seen in the movie. And he doesn't really say anything about it, outside of the fact that you should ask them. Yeah, his mom and his sister were killed by Indians, and that's all he says. Right. I mean, he does this bigotry in him, which I kind of understand. But in a movie that's already going to extremes, you make it an extreme story so that you start to maybe not agree with him because I don't want you to agree with fucking bigotry. No, but you sort of start to maybe have a better understanding. Like, and he mentions he was ten, and he saw it exactly. Which okay, that still sucks, but but it's still not an excuse, especially yeah. Especially in a movie that's already pushing the extremes. Like, make me believe it. Fucking have my mom was beheaded and thrown in my fucking lap or something. But no, what we should do is ask them. (laughs) And the same with, and I thought for sure because Samantha O'Dwyer was acting her ass off. It's like Lily. But. Yeah, Lily Simmons. 
when Lily Simmons, when she was asked if she knew how many of them there were, the way that she stopped and paused and sold it, and then she puts out a number, Mm -hmm. if you would have paused the movie right there, I would have bet fucking money. I would have put money down on her revealing that the reason that she knew that number was because she was raped by them. I thought maybe they were going to go on that angle. Like, there was several days that had passed where you don't know what happened. And any of the characters that were there prior to those gentlemen arriving, you don't know what happened to any of them outside of Purvis, but it was hearsay for the most part. Mm -hmm. You don't know whether or not that's what really happened. But long story short, you're right. I mean, it's how did she know all those numbers? And then she even says she doesn't know for sure if that's the number or not, but that's how many she counted. Jesus, yeah. I think even saying it like that is more information than she said. Yeah. Honestly. And so honestly, in the very end of the movie, I was kind of just left hoping that she counted wrong and that at least one was still going to fucking catch up with them. Kind of play out like the Hills of Eyes, where kind of what can sneak up on them. I don't know. Who knows? But yeah, I think the play on the, with the troglodytes, it was... The one thing I did like about that was they used that weird, you know, trachea larynx thing they had going on, that oh, mutation. Yeah. Dude, that was kind of cool. I thought it was kind of unique. I like the fact that Patrick Wilson was willing to put it in his mouth. And right now, I was like, that's pretty gruesome. That's pretty nasty. But there's a lot of different things that we could have seen, we should have seen, but we didn't get it. And I don't know if it's because of the budget. I do know because this film was only shot in 21 days. Don't know if it's any of that fact, but for whatever reasons, I know it took a long time to get this film filmed to begin with because the script was written like in 2007. He even had different actors who were supposed to be cast for different parts. Like Jennifer Carpenter was supposed right. to play uh, the um, Samantha Dwyer. Yeah, and I think Peter Sarsgaard was supposed to be playing the character of Patrick Wilson's character oh. in the film. Right, even Richard Jenkins was recast because of filming delays. Wow! And then he was recast again as his Holy character. Cow. Yeah. So there was a lot of that going on. One thing I do know is that Kurt Russell had read Zoller's second novel and said that he liked the fact that when he was reading it, he feels like the audience or the person reading it is being transported back to that time period, and you kind of get the feeling of those characters and. Mm-hmm. What a Western, I suppose, in his mind is, which was interesting because they actually used his quote on the back of the cover of that book. But he was on board, and then slowly but surely, all these other actors, which, like I said, is a great cast. You know, I know we went off on him for a bit, but I thought it was kind of neat that they weren't in it for very long. The main cast did a really good job. It's just, I feel like it was just played out a little too much with the journey. And, oh man. And the things about it were interesting enough that. Here's the thing. What I would like to see that's never going to happen, I call it bone tomahawk. (laughs) (laughs) Sort of embrace the exploitation angle, play it up. I mean, I'm never going to get a chance to do a sequel. Maybe. Want to do a sequel and sort of structure it more like Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. That would be awesome. Spend a lot of time with the trogs on like a hunt, kind of like ending with an abduction. Kind of like the beginning with Chop Top and yeah, dude. and Leatherface and the fucking radio DJ and all that shit. And have an unconnected party who, when Patrick Wilson gets back and has to tell his story, it's the federal agent or something that they send to check it out because of all the fucking deaths. Yeah, exactly. And he's disgusted at the fucking trogs and what they found and is trying to search out the other clans. He's yeah. the Dennis Hopper. That'd be awesome. 
and have him slowly, just on his search, come into contact with them while the fucking DJ thing's going on, get more time with the Trogs, sort of see how fucked up they can be, and have the sort of the hero come in. And, I mean, you can play it like the watch out those who yeah. fucking hunt monsters if you want, that sort of thing. <laughs> but you I'd like to play, play up the super more. crazy fucking violence angle. That's kind of what I liked about the film, too, is, like you said, we had mentioned, the moments that they do show the gore and the violence, they do it really good. And they do go over the top with it. But I like that. But you don't get enough of it. And it's only shown in those bits. And It doesn't matter if it's there or not. It really doesn't. It is, Make it matter more. That's how I, I guess felt. what I would say. Yeah, and I even felt like some of those moments were more humorous than anything outside of the fact that maybe Deputy Nick, his circumstance. Everything else, yeah, some of it was humorous. Some of it was like, all right. I, I guess know. that was the realism know. taking hold, but if you're going to fucking put troglodytes in there, there's a time to break from that. Yeah, I want to see somebody get eaten and ripped apart, maybe. I mean, even the cannibalism angle was you had the one holding part of Nick's leg yeah, and right. gnawing on it. Like a ham bone. But that was about it. Even during when they were killing him, it wasn't apparent what they were going to do. No, they cut away from it. You just got a little bit of that, and that was it. And I'm like, okay, well, so they're cannibals all the time, sometimes? They, they just seem to be doing kind of well. Like, did they need to be doing this? Are they just close to the town? Why did they finally strike out to the actual town? Because it sort of seems like they've been here a while. Yeah. Even the journey, I mean, it felt like... There's only know, 12 of them. Why is it that the fucking the Indian professor seemed to be the most civilized out of fucking all of these assholes? So if there's only 12 of them, even if it's like a place that they're scared of, why don't they just fucking go wipe them out so they don't have to be scared of them? Because if you just rode like an actual like raiding party <laughs> in there, I feel like you could probably take them out. Not too much problem. Yeah, I mean, ex- exactly. They even allude to like military formations. Mm-hmm. So you would think some of these guys have military backgrounds, but they don't really play it up that way. That's what I'm getting at either. It's like they use certain lingo, but they don't really do it well. It's weird. I don't know. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I, that's the thing. It's fucking hard to... I have a lot of criticism of this movie, but if I still, if I had to give it a rating, it'd be at least like a 7.5 out of 10. That's exactly what I rated it at. I know it sounds like we're being harsh because it does have faults. We spell them out to you, but the moments I felt like, so the dialogue, I did like the exchanges. I thought they were witty. I thought they were humorous. But the dialogue itself was fun. Old yeah, it was good. It was a really good dialogue. I liked the cinematography. The scenery was beautiful. It was well shot. Like I said, all the actors did an amazing job for their bits, but I don't know. Like I said, it did ju- leave me wanting. A lot of just being told things. Yeah. Same with uh, the fact that Matthew Fox's character is supposed to be a womanizer. Only really told, <laughs> not shown. Yeah, he said he gets invited over for dessert, 11 women, and bright hope. That's enough of that. If you're going to spend this much time on a movie, you could have given him somewhat of a montage in like the bar or something. That would have been nice, yeah. Play like in a brothel. Just make it more apparent. Show, don't tell. Yeah. I guess, yeah. You're right, there is a lot of telling in this. It's just like some campfire stories, and you just keep going on. You eventually run into what your goal is, but it took fucking forever. And then even the conclusion's kind of like, <laughs> like a good stroke game, but... 
I still, yeah, I kind of hope that there was still one alive that just goes and hunts those yeah. fuckers. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a good film. I do enjoy it. I would that recommend it. That makes it more interesting in my mind too that there's still one alive. Yeah, that would make it more interesting. I feel like you're right. Like if somebody, perhaps even the director, if he wanted to go dark, like really. I think it's a fun universe to play in. You could. You can play all over it. Like, so we pointed out a lot of things. I think even the troglodyte, the burial, the ritual shit, the cannibalism aspect of it, they could really play that up a lot. Mm-hmm. Give it more of a fright factor. 7.5. Yeah. This is a good solid 7.5. It's better than Belko, I mean, in my opinion. Yeah. I'd say it's better than Belko as well, which another movie... I couldn't yeah. say many nice things about, but I did actually enjoy it. It's so. not bad. I enjoyed it, but I'm not going to be watching it anytime uh, yeah. soon. I would say this is superior to that, though. Yeah. Kurt um, Russell, Matthew Fox, Wilson. God, they did a great job. Right? Like I said, Lily Simmons does a great job for she the does. five minutes she's She's in the movie. really good. She's really good. I did like that. <laughs> like I said, I thought it was kind of cool that they did include a lot of these actors throughout the years who've been in some really cool roles. I even liked. The small bit with the pianist we talked about. Oh, yeah, that was a great... Yeah. I was like, damn, that was pretty good. He And that's a good time <laughs> for the humor that was in yeah, the movie. But it was some good. of the other moments are awkward. Yeah, I, I do feel like so. once that journey begins, that's when it starts to become kind of like, all right, here we go. <laughs> Takes forever. I don't have much else to say about this, to no. be honest. Well, like I said, I do like the fact that we chose to watch it. I know it's been getting a lot of good press and good buzz. For, you know, I can understand it. I liked it. I thought, like I said, it was it's, well done all around. It is a around. good way to change it up, too. It is. It's a different approach to the Western. And it does play on the tropes. It's a different approach to horror. It is. It is. Like I said, it's a mashup. It's a genre mashup. It plays out like a good Western with the element of horror, but it doesn't play too much into that horror. It's just happenstance. Oh, and uh, as far as period pieces in the Old West involving cannibals go, David Arquette's better than in this than he is in Ravenous. Yeah, in Ravenous... <laughs> They sent him off, which is funny because that's what happens here too. <laughs> so we got to send you off, David. Thanks for coming on the set. <laughs> that's a wrap for you. <laughs> Apparently, you don't like mountains, so <laughs> yeah. Right. But there are some cool things I did write down. Some trivia. Okay, um, what do you got? All right. So what I wrote down was I had mentioned that you know there was a lot of different people who were cast at first and then got recast. I wrote down that Sid Haig, you know, he plays Buddy. Actually, Michael Wincott was considered to play that part before Sid Haig had joined. I did mention Peter Sargars and Jennifer Carpenter. The gentleman who replaced Richard Jenkins for his role as Chicory was Jim Broadbent. Oh, so okay. he was he replaced them, but then got recast. I did mention it was shot in 21 Days in Southern California now. Before they decided to shoot in Southern California, they were actually scouting New Mexico and Utah as location. We're not going to go into the side credits of all these people that you're pointing out were cast originally, but it does sound like the casting was always meant to be like sort of an ensemble character actor casting because these are all names. They weren't just trying to grab like these random people that then got recast. Well, that's kind of the interesting thing now too because some of the people that he wanted initially in this film, he actually got in like... I think in Cell Block 99, I mentioned that film with Vincent Vaughn. <laughs> but uh, I think Don Johnson in it. I'm almost sure that Jennifer Carpenter is in it. So, I mean, he's cast some really cool people in his films. I'm kind of interested in seeing his other works, you know. 
But yeah, I mean, outside of that, that's basically what I got. I, the book I, I'd mentioned that Kurt Russell mentioned on the name of the book for those who are interested. It's Zoller's second novel. It's called The Wraiths of Broken Land. It came out in 2013. But that's the one that he had mentioned that he enjoyed the aspect of the Western telling. Like he felt like you were being catapulted into that time period, mm-hmm. the way that he's unraveling this story. So he has good words to say about Zoller is what I'm getting at. Yeah. 7.5. 7.5. And I'm kind of done with this movie. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So that's Bone Tomahawk. Go watch it. It's available on. on Prime. Yeah, that's where I streamed it. it on was Prime. Yeah. Um, and I liked it. Is it is worth at least one watch for sure. Yeah. I mean, Absolutely. I watched it. I'm glad I watched twice. it. Twice. Yeah. I didn't. I worked no, on some okay. other stuff instead. It's a lo- it's You a, saw what I worked on there, so. Exactly. Dope as fuck. All right, so do you want to mention the next film that we have lined up? Yeah, so next we are going to go into my childhood and yeah, into dude. your younger years. Yes, my wonder years. With a little film from a, God, I guess you could call it a series. Yeah. That's not yeah. normally horror. No, but this one does dabble in it. We're going, God damn it. This is awesome. Earnest, scared, stupid. Damn skippy. You know what I mean, Vern? So we get to talk about Jim Varney, man, and we go way back. So we'll talk about him for sure. Oh, my God. I can't believe we're doing this. This is, I'm, has me super I'm excited, excited, dude. Yeah. Oh, my God. I want to talk about it now, but I'm not going to. No. This I will say this. <laughs> for those who are nostalgic, that I think it's going to be a good trip down memory lane. I think so, too. And tonight, we are actually going to go watch... It's not a horror movie, but it's definitely a fucking monster movie. Yeah, We're going to go watch Shape of Water. Yeah, I'm excited and about so that, so we'll too. talk about that a little bit next episode as yeah, well. Yeah. It's going to be uh, awesome. Like we said, it's not horror, but it's by Guillermo del Toro. It might as well be fucking Creature from the Black Lagoon falls in love, right? That's, That's what I've been told. So we just did Creature not too long ago, which has me even more excited for this. Yes, sir. That's going to be awesome. If it was, I mean, if the hype alone didn't already have me excited, I mean, it's supposed to be better than Pan's Labyrinth, which is kind of mind-blowing. That's saying a lot. That's saying a lot goddamn lot that Um, gets me excited but we're gonna have to get properly prepared for this proper so we're gonna leave you all for this week remember to hit subscribe however you're listening to us now remember that you can always stream us at our website www.friedsquirms.com you know it I realized today that I've been being really lazy on getting my look back at last year. Yeah. And so with Valentine's Day coming up, I already plan on putting in some work tomorrow for the podcast. I'm going to try to get that fucking article up on my favorite shit nice. media-wise from last year. As a month and a half over to do, but in honor of Valentine's Day as my love letter to the year that was. Nice, dude. Because I promised that like three months ago and I haven't yeah. delivered yet. Uh, I feel bad. So... Our website will be where you can find shit like that. Awesome. We have the Instagram, Fried Squirms Podcast that we already mentioned, at Fried Squirms Twitter, Fried Squirms on the Facebook. Yes, sir. You can check us out there. You can also email us at squirmcast at gmail.com. You can and also message us on our website we mentioned. Yeah, it turns out that works. Thank you, Marquand. Yeah, thanks for the hate mail. We got hey, our first one. God damn it. Fucker gave us our first hate mail. Anyway, I think that's all I have. Yeah. Until next time. Love, peace, and chicken grease. You know it. Fries, worms, out.